1: there welcome to the hash here on coindesk tv it's where we look at the news and we tell you the stuff that we think is interesting and why i'm zach seward that's adam levine Jen Sinassi, will foxley we have some stories to get to and i believe that adam is leading us off take it away yeah thanks zach (laughs) We start off this
2: morning with news that developers of the second largest blockchain, Ethereum, have set a target of March for a much-anticipated feature as part of the so-called Shanghai upgrade. The standout addition will be the ability to withdraw Ether staked as part of the new proof-of-stake consensus process, which in some cases has been uh, locked up since the launch of the Beacon Chain a couple of years ago. It's actually a pretty big deal, and now we have a planned date, although that uh, may slip as we've seen in the past. The devs also made plans for another upgrade in the fall of next year, where they intend to introduce a scaling solution known as ProtoDank sharding. Which, of course, is always worth a mention just because it's a fun name to say. Well,
3: why don't you go ahead and kick us off here with some thoughts this morning? Thank you for ringing up Proto Dank sharding. It is, in fact, a very great thing to say. Kick off the show. Uh, it's crazy to think back that this ether has been staked for so long. The Beacon Chain launched in March of tw- or in December of twenty twenty, which is quite. A while ago, and all these people who have been staking since then have been accruing staking rewards securing the ETH2 chain. And after the merge, uh, we really don't need that stake to be there anymore. Like it can move in and out fluidly based on like a schedule uh, on the security parameters of the chain itself. But you know, for those people who have been waiting since December 2020, they're pretty much ready to get their rewards and cash out, probably and make that USD, uh, you know, swap out of Ether. I think the thing to look at here is probably like the macro numbers, however, there's about 19 million or 15 million Ether staked in the contract worth about $19 billion. That's a lot of supply of Ether. And once they open up the staking contract for withdrawals, you'll only be able to withdraw some at a time because again, the security parameters, you can only withdraw so much at a certain time based on like how secure the chain is going to be. But I think that is going to put some pressure on top of Ethereum which has been trading pretty healthily. Like, you know, we don't talk about trading too much on the show, but prices do matter. Ether has been trading about $1,200, stayed above $1,000, which going into a bear market, a lot of people did not expect that to occur. And people are now wondering if there is a transition here and people can withdraw funds from the contract. Does that put a lot of downward supply pressure on the price of Ether? And how does that react going into a bear market? So definitely mm-hmm. something to watch. Jen, I'll throw it over to you for your take though.
4: Well, Will, you started to kind of um, unpack my question, but maybe you can break it down a little bit further. What does a mere mortal like me take away from the story?
3: A mere mortal like yourself, Jen. Hmm. Uh, I I think there's a few things that we can take away from this. One, the supply stuff that I just mentioned there. Two, the security parameters are really important to note. And then third, decentralized governance is really tough. So, Bitcoin and Ethereum, we have two different models here. Bitcoin doesn't change very often. You have so many different partners in the consensus there. And a lot of them have different weightings of who's more important. Like an Adam Back as a core developer probably matters a little bit more than a mining pool or maybe just a regular node runner. In the Ethereum world, you have this core developer group, and they basically make a lot of the decisions. They have, you know, key influences from exchanges, from blockchain developers, things of that nature. But on this call, a lot of times they do make the big decisions here. And for this staking withdraw. You know, there's been a lot of pressure from the community to move this forward, and now it's probably happening. Like you mentioned, Adam could get withdrawn or pushed back a little bit later, like we've seen with the merge date. But this sort of shows you like how governance is decided for Ethereum versus other chains like Bitcoin. I think that's one thing that's notable to watch. Zach, I'll boot it up to you.
1: I just want to say proto dank sharding. Thanks for uh, highlighting that. That's a lovely word to say, proto dank sharding. I think in Ethereum parlance, there was the merge, the surge the surge and the verge i don't know there was like five things that they were uh (laughs) highlighting as sort of these next steps following ethereum's transition to proof of stake and dank sharding is specifically one of those ones right sharding is all about enabling mass scale to support applications at a much uh wider uh adoption rate than we currently are seeing some of these on-chain primitives seeing so the idea that ethereum is sort of again got the merge Uh, in the rear view in September, which was a major accomplishment uh, for the crypto sector as a whole. And then some of these subsequent innovations that get Ethereum to its uh, intended end state or some advanced state, maybe not end state, but advanced state from where it is now, are starting to roll out here as indicated by this March 2023 timeline. So interesting to see the work of Ethereum never ceases, right? There's all these developer superstars happening behind the scenes. It's not just Vitalik and GigaBrain SuperMath. It's uh, developers working with the the Ethereum Foundation and other entities in the space who are contributing these things to advance this chain to some level where uh, mass-scale applications can be supported on what has rightly become sort of the leading smart contract platform. So once all this stuff gets fully baked in, Ethereum will hopefully be that world computer that was originally envisioned however many years ago at this point. Will, I saw your hand kicking it down to you.
3: Yeah, I'll throw in one more point to Jen just to take away here. I think a lot of people in the Bitcoin space looked at the merge and said that would never occur, right? That was like a huge point. The merge is never coming. And to be fair, it did take a very long time, much longer than anticipated. And they've also kind of latched onto this idea that the withdrawals are never going to occur. And now that we have a date, and hopefully it happens in 2023, if not on the date that they're aiming for. And I think that takes another you know, arrow out of the quiver for the Bitcoin Maxis or anyone out there. So if you're looking at like, the crypto culture war i think there is a takeaway here that you know ethereum might be a little slow but they're actually delivering on the promises they've set forth like they did move to proof of stake and now they're going to open withdrawals once they can and then they're moving to proto dank charting which has actually been in the playbook for a very very long time all these things were just larger engineering tasks than first imagined when they were stated adam up to you yeah there's so
2: uh, one kind of conversation that's been happening in the world of crypto is around, you know, as we're seeing all of these different, you know, like uh, lenders and crypto, like players in the space, uh, you know, like freeze withdrawals and do things like that due to, due to, you know, insolvency, illiquidity, kind of things like that. That has kind of been a narrative recently, uh, you know, about like what's the equivalent on the Ethereum side, because there does exist a lot of value that's kind of locked up there. It's kind of an interesting comparison, though, right? Because like Ethereum, when they launched this, that was the plan all along. And yet it still represents a sort of moment of, uh, you know, like, like we don't know what will happen, right? Like it's not like people have been able to put stuff in and take stuff out as we've been going over the course of this last year. So you've only been able to add and then add rewards on top of that. I think it's, a, it's going to be really interesting to see not just when this happens, But where kind of the market cycle is, because it'll be, it has the potential to be very different if it happens during a bear market, you know, like, and prices are very depressed, demand is very depressed, versus in a bull market where probably it's not gonna make much of a difference at all. Over to you, Zach, before we move on.
1: I just wanted to say, correct myself, it's the merge, the surge, the verge, the purge, and the splurge. That is the timeline for Ethereum's development. And those are also some lovely words in addition. To tank sharding. All right, we're changing gears. Will, take us
3: to PayPal. What do you got? PayPal, the fintech giant, is moving into European markets. This follows, of course, after their move into European or American crypto markets in 2020 with a nice scoop from Ian Allison. So, PayPal is opening up crypto markets first in Luxembourg and then probably moving to other countries within the European continent using like a passport backdoor that allows them to move into one country and then move out into other countries. For crypto adoption, what does this mean? Well, it means a lot of people are going to have access to crypto pretty natively through PayPal. If they use Venmo or just a PayPal application on their computer, you'll have the ability to go buy and sell different crypto coins that they allow on their platform. This was a big deal back in 2020 when it opened up in the United States. Why? Well, adoption. It sort of built up into the bull market of 2020 and 2021. The fact that PayPal had allowed this to be on their platform spoke well to not only these coins, the fact that PayPal was allowing it, but also to the ability for a regular person to buy into a market that otherwise was difficult to get into in the first place. This, of course, follows on some regulatory news that we're watching. There's some new lay, uh, like sort of build-outs of what the regulatory scheme is going to look like in the European Union, and I think PayPal has been watching that pretty closely before offering this. Zach, I want to throw the story over to you. I think this fits pretty well into your fintech regulatory sandbag. So let's get your take on it.
1: Oh yeah. My mullet fi where it's, you know, FinTech in the front, (laughs) DeFi in the back, something (laughs) like that. I don't know. This is still pretty custodial um, uh, crypto. If I, if I remember correctly, I think there is some functionality that was rolled out that, you know, enables sends off of the platform, right. Which I think is again, this sort of progression toward uh, more true crypto products that we see from FinTech firms uh, rolling out their initial offering. So yeah, certainly when this hit the market, uh, back in 2020, which feels like ages ago, that was this was a big deal. If you look at um, ItBit, which is the exchange of Paxos, which to my understanding powers a lot of the trading that happens on PayPal, you know there's certainly activity there, right? You're you're seeing chop, you know, in the single-digit millions on most days. Definitely a surge of activity back in early November when things were getting interesting. So this appears to be a service that is used in the markets that uh, it currently exists in. So the fact that it's being rolled out even further into EU suggests. You know, continued commitment from PayPal, and again, sort of this uh, progressive march toward more crypto functionality in some of these fintech apps that many people know and use regularly. So, uh, the fact that they're jumping into EU again at a time when some of the regulatory headwinds in the EU are are a bit pronounced. Interesting to see sort of a major fintech player potentially uh, championing uh, access to some of these assets in those markets. So, yeah, Jen,
4: I think this is great for optionality. Right, we talk so much about. When there's options for people, they can decide to do whatever they want. And I think a lot of beginners are looking at the space, looking at the FTX fallout and not exactly sure where to get started if they're interested in crypto. I think PayPal has like built that trusted financial brand that if you want to get your toes a little bit wet, you might do so with PayPal's new option. In their press release, they said they're going to be focused on educating their customers and providing a lot of different answers to a lot of different FAQs that European customers might have. I think that is important in the, in the current macroeconomic sphere. So I think it's good. I think the option is there. I know that there are some other uh, exchanges that are playing in Europe right now, Binance, Coinbase, I think Gemini as well. It will be interesting to see how this pans out with the Mika regulation. Uh, And so I'm interested to watch that. Adam, what do you got?
2: Yeah, I'll just uh, take a second to kind of pin some historical context onto all of this. Uh, Again, like I've been around crypto long enough to remember when the idea that PayPal would do anything like what we've seen them do in the US was kind of a pipe dream. And we kind of saw this curve from in the early days, it was really these tiny, tiny, tiny companies, you know, that were really kind of mom and pop type things who would gain earned press from including, you know, the, the ability to accept Bitcoin or something like that uh, in their product? to then over the course of probably about five years, you know, the, some of the biggest companies in the world. Again, PayPal didn't do this because, hey, it was a great idea. They did it because one of their competitors, Square, was blowing out their revenue uh, based on making these same types of offerings. And per, PayPal was perceived correctly as having left money on the table. So again, what we're seeing here is a doubling down of that, which means that turns out it was a pretty good decision, both for Square and for PayPal. And now as we see them extend that reach into the EU and probably eventually to the rest of the world that they service, again, it's just another kind of step down this uh, long, slow road to boring that we're on. The road to boring. We need that
1: gift The road to boring. We need that gift The road to boring. (laughs) The road to boring. All right, we're going to take this road to boring into the break. We're gonna collect <laughs> our thoughts and talk about some more stuff. Constitution Dow. remember that thing? The second iteration of it is back, <laughs> looking to get that old parchment in its dao dawi hands. We'll talk A about sequel. that tokenized form. I don't even know about this one. We'll talk about this and more after the break. Stick with us. It's the hash. You're watching CoinDesk TV. Thanks for being here. All right.
0: Times are tough, particularly for crypto. But Bitstamp's different. Bitstamp is the longest-running crypto exchange and among the most regulated in the world, which includes a bit license in New York and a payment institution license in Europe. And when it comes to your funds, with Bitstamp, your crypto belongs to you. All your fiat and crypto are kept 100% separated. It's why CryptoCompare ranked Bitstamp the number one crypto exchange, awarding them the highest possible AA rating. Learn more at bitstamp.net.
4: Everyone, you are watching The Hash, and we are back from that beloved break, and we're gonna talk about Constitution Dow. It is back, but in another form. A coalition of dow's are looking for a redemption story. So if you remember in November last year, a group of people got together, they raised 47 million dollars to buy a copy of the US Constitution. Now, Constitution Constitution Dow 2, which is a coalition of 16 other DAOs are hoping to raise money to yet again buy a copy of the Constitution at auction at Sotheby's. A lot going on in the story. Pretty dowie. Adam, I'm going to kick it off to you for your first thought. Can they do it? Will they get redemption?
2: I think it remains to be seen whether they'll actually pull it off. But again, it continues this sort of narrative that we've seen over time which is that DAOs are a vehicle that really we know that they can do one thing. We know that they can issue a token in exchange for taking in some kind of money. And then you can allow the people who have the token to vote on what you do with the kind of money. So here we're talking about basically a DAO of DAOs that's going after this goal. Ultimately, we think, again, that like in the future, DAOs will be a structure that replaces what companies do in a lot of circumstances, right? In a more kind of Web3 native way. But they're really still trying to find kind of that use case. And we're really still in the very early days of that. So I think the, the the story the last time was that what they did was so transparent that they actually wound up undercutting their ability to execute on exactly what they were trying to do, right? If you've got a big public pile of money, then you know exactly how much money is going to go into making the bid. And you can just make sure that you outbid, just have a little bit more than that. This time seems like they're a little bit more sophisticated about it, but I'm quite curious to kind of see how it all develops. Seems like an important case to me.
3: Will, what do you think? Yeah, I have this working theory that memes in crypto are very much like crypto coins themselves that go and die off. So a meme that does really well at the beginning, it surges in popularity, and then it has this long tail where no one wants to buy the token, no one really wants to buy the meme, but neither really quite dies. And I think we're saying that here right now with this Constitution DAO story where in November of 2021, this was the thing, right? Everyone wanted to be involved with it. Discord was popping, everyone was interested in it. And now we have a year later, a very similar story. A lot less people are interested in it, but the meme won't just quite die. It will still be there, just like the long tail of any sort of token. I do think we should go back and look at that November 2021 story because it was interesting at the time because Bitcoin's price had reached its picto top, right, $70,000 per coin. We had Ken Griffith involved with this, who was going back to like the whole GameStop, Reddit thing. There was like this evil villain involved with the whole story. There was like, just like this nexus of things that we'll never quite get again. And I think that's why this time, I don't know if they'll be able to make as much money. Not only are crypto prices down, so they're going to have to earn more Bitcoin or more Ether to get this, but also there's just less interest in any sort of story right now. The fact that there's other bidders involved with the first constitution DAO really drove adoption. People really cared about it at that point. Like they had something to fixate on. This time, I don't know what else there is to like juice this story. Zach, I'll throw it back up to you.
1: Yeah, I think the timing is is kind of crazy in retrospect, right? November 2021 was like the, the, the literal top of the market. And this unfolded sort of against the backdrop of that uh, widespread hysteria around, oh, crypto, it's, it's amazing. So this is hugely different in terms of uh, backdrop. And I don't know if they're going to have much success in terms of raising funds to make this happen. Maybe they can sort of fly a little bit under the radar and get it done this time in a way that they couldn't with all the hype and noise around crypto at the time. But I don't know, I was kind of grumpy on Constitution DAO in its initial mm-hmm. form, because really the lasting impact of it was the people token, which was just another token that made people a lot of money and didn't really have anything to do with uh, either the governance of this DAO or its, its effort to get this uh, piece of American history uh, into its control. So if this is sort of another, if people too is the token that emerges out of this, and it's sort of another way to sort of monetize By attention... Now. I think that's a bad thing. And I hopefully, uh, hopefully maybe the lesson was learned the first time around that, you know, even if the stated goal isn't accomplished, uh, being able to sort of, again, monetize the meme uh, ended up being profitable for quite a few traders. So I don't know. I'm a little bit skeptical about this one. And certainly uh, the broader context of the market is significantly different. But I mean, Jen, you're like into DAOs and stuff. So I'm going to give you last word on this one.
4: <laughs> well, it seems like Constitution Dow 2 have learned from some of those mistakes. So it looks like to join Constitution Dow2, there's a tiered NFT membership. So they're issuing this NFT token. There's not um, a governance token of sorts, like people like people. They have a mission, and their mission is to start a collection of civic artifacts that are totally run by the people. So remember, when we spoke about Constitution DAO, we were like, well, what is their mission? They're just going to buy the Constitution. And then what? And so this DAO is looking to collect up artifacts, maybe be kind of like a Web3 museum of sorts. And I guess the cherry on the top is Empire DAO, which is like a co-working space DAO in Manhattan, says that if they get the Constitution, they would like to be the louvre of Constitution DAO's mission, and they will display the U.S. Constitution there for all us Web3 fans to go and visit. And so, you know, I'm just digging this next iteration of Constitution DAO, and I hope they do it.
1: All right, fingers crossed. We'll (laughs) change gears and see what happens with that one. All right, we're going to Starbucks, big old coffee chain. We talked about this while I was away in September, initial plans for Starbucks Web3 powered rewards program. Were first announced and now indeed they're launching it in beta to select members now this is on the polygon blockchain it's only open to a limited few at present it's unclear what kind of actual functionality outside of the wall garden of the Starbucks rewards program will be involved in this or whether or not there will be plans to expand this with more on-chain functionality but as we were talking about yesterday with our guest from Vayner 3, this is indeed a big brand experimenting with crypto-powered loyalty programs. I'm going to throw it to Will. I checked the record. He was highly grumpy about this in September. And I think with some merit, Will, we've seen the blog post with a bit more details here now that it's launched in beta. Do you still hold that grumpy sentiment
3: to this program? I don't like the brands and that's not going to change. I'll get some more reporting based on what we have from the blog. They started off with a nice quippy line saying that This whole story brings a new meaning to JavaScript. So well done on that lead there, whoever wrote this. (laughs) Excellent job. But the product itself says, quote, the experiences called journeys will involve playing interactive games or taking on challenges which are designed to give the customer more in-depth knowledge of the Starbucks brand and coffee. Completing journeys will earn them NFTs, which the company has dubbed Journey Stamps. So, another way to summarize that is there's not much into this program at all. You know, you just are more on the app and then maybe you buy some more stuff. So, I'm pretty bearish on this still, Zach. So, give it a big old thumbs down. Gonna throw it over to Jen, though, get your take on it.
4: I'll go quickly before I pass it off to Adam. I think this makes sense, right? Yesterday we spoke to um, Avery from Vayner and she, we spoke about these like always on marketing campaigns and how brands are experimenting. And Starbucks has the data, they know how many people how many of their customers participate in their loyalty programs they know how many people are going out to the store to get their collectible items like those holiday mugs that they just launched and they know how many people are already participating in their experiential um their experiential adventures like you know they have they have um their like Starbucks farm in Costa Rica where you can go and learn about the history of Starbucks and and, and learn more about what they're doing For the community and the culture. And so I think with all of this data, having an NFT available to the people who already participate in these things just ends up looking like a digital collectible to those people. And it makes sense. I don't know if it's going to be an NFT as we know NFTs. I think that it will for a long time live in this walled garden, but it makes sense for their marketing department. I think if they want to start experimenting with this, Adam, what do you think?
2: So I have a slightly non consensus take here, which is that. Maybe what Starbucks is doing is capitalizing on the fact that money is, in fact, an illusion that has a lot to do with what you think in the future will be valuable. And maybe in this kind of era of monetary turmoil, what we're really seeing here is kind of an early version of a company starting to create their own parallel monetary system by which you might not have confidence in your government to manage the value of your currency, but you probably have some confidence in Starbucks that there will still be a cup of coffee available for you should you want to get one from them. And so we could see in the future, again, the Bitcoins of the world, which aim to be kind of stable, neutral money that isn't controlled by any one person, competing directly against the corporate giants like Starbucks, where, hey, at least your dollar, you know, your Starbucks dollar,
3: of course, is backed by a cup of coffee or something like that. Will, I'll throw it back down to you. That is a very Adam-esque abstraction away from the story here. But what I think they're trying to do is just milk more money out of you. You get into their app, you have this NFT journey, you learn about Starbucks the brand, you become more loyal, and then they swap you with this NFT for the dollars that you're actually going to put into the system. And marginally, I bet you pay a little bit more. That's how these apps work. That's how they always work. They're always trying to milk you for something. So I don't buy it, Adam. Jen, I'll give it to you before we close.
4: I just wanted to add one thought um, on the back of what Adam said. Starbucks actually, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I think it operates like a bank. I think they have over $2 billion of, P- of- cash that people have in the app and that they haven't spent and i think that is absolutely crazy and backs up your point adam zach i'll throw it off to you for the last word
1: yeah i mean maybe there's some more functionality coming and i think it's gonna be interesting to see where this goes initially like right after beta launch according to the starbucks post itself there's gonna be this marketplace powered by nifty gateway where you can buy or sell these collectibles among members quote-unquote among members So I think it is pretty restrictive to who can play in this playground, especially in the early innings. Maybe there's a way to expand this out and to be something that's a bit more, I don't know, enticing or interesting. But for now, it does seem like here's some digital tchotchkes that Starbucks fans can um, spend some time to go capture. And I guess that's fun. That's like, that's all fine. That's that's all fun and games, whatever, whatever. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see if this continues to grow or if this just becomes another thing in their loyalty program. One note, we will have someone from Starbucks on the show tomorrow. We'll be able to ask him some of Go. those questions about this new Web3 push. So stick with us if you're intrigued by this story. All right, that's it for the show today. More tomorrow, as mentioned. I'm Zach Seward. That's Adam Levine, Jensen Sinassi, and Will Foxley. We are The Hash, coming to you live on Coindesk TV. Check us out a bit later on the Coindesk Podcast Network. It's The Hash for your ears. Yeah, that's what's up. All right. We'll be back tomorrow. Will's vibing already. He's dancing. He's feeling it. He's going with the music. (laughs) Kind of feeling it too all of a sudden. All right. Have a great day, folks. We'll see you. Bye.
0: You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com subject line The Hash or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals 24. That's chime.com goals 24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com/disclosures for details.